Alexa, what is the best podcast in the land? Here's pulling back the curtain podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. This podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. Sumato Coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup. Beyond that, it starts to become stale. At Sumato Coffee, they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted. That's why they put the roast date right on the bag. Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. What's happening, people, and what you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest, baddest podcast in the land. We come with the dopest topics, hitting with the rawest opinion while giving you the straight-up facts. No fake news here. I'm Jules. Oppress. We give sight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. Alexa, what is the baddest podcast in the land? Here's Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. This podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. Sumato Coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup, and that coffee is best two to 14 days after it's been roasted. Beyond that, it starts to become stale. At Sumato Coffee, they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted. That's why they put the roast date right on the bag. Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. What's happening, people, and what you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest, baddest podcast in the land. We come with the dopest topics, even with the rawest opinion, while giving you the straight up facts. No fake news here. I'm Jules. I'm Press. We're giving sight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. On this episode, we are joined by Omani Mintz, founder of Craven, as we pull back the curtain on recent launch of his business venture and much, much more. Press, what's popping, baby? Well, Jules. We got a lot to unpack on this episode, brother. I'm not going to sit here and fake it for our audience and and act like everything is all good over here in my universe, but it's good to hear from you. Hope that you've been safe out there, man, but it's just been a lot that's going on this week, and man, I got a lot to say about it. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Okay, well, hey, I ain't going to say, well, Prez, I appreciate you looking. (laughs) I I ain't even going to get in your way, brother. I'm just, hey. (laughs) Uh, Everything good on my end. I know how to shake and bake, so that's why I'm always smooth. (laughs) I can see see you out there doing that shit, too. (laughs) Uh, You a fool, man. Let's get to these mailbag questions real quick. The first one came over from Matt, and he lives in Lansing, Michigan. And so he asked, What's been the biggest hurdle with building this podcast, Brad? Good question, man. I, I think the biggest hurdle in building this podcast, for me, is probably the name. You see the name and just want to grasp to it and just come to it. It, it would captivate. And people are like, man, what's this about? Pull it back the curtain podcast. What's this about? How many times you look at your phone or, or sometimes or something like that and you see a, a movie coming out like, man, that movie sounds like it's dope. But you're watching it like, oh, man, it's straight up garbage. So with the name, I also got to come with the context and the content and information where it captivate and keep that audience. So I think that name also with the content, 
That's the biggest hurdle. I would say for me, Matt, is time. Mm. I have so many different ideas that I want to put in place, so many different things that I even bring to Jules and say, hey, I think this would be a good idea for the show. But to be honest with you, to do all the things that I needed to grow this brand, I need more time. That's one of the things that, you know, we're going to be looking at hiring probably some interns to kind of help us with some of those things. Because when most people think about podcasting, Matt, they think that it's just about showing up and recording a podcast episode. That's the easy part. I don't even touch on what actually goes on behind the scenes, right, of, of building a, a brand. So I think that a lot of people don't take that into consideration. The hard work that we put into this show has been well worth it. We were recently nominated for a 2021 Discover Pod for Best Podcast that focuses on society and culture. And so, as Jules mentioned, the name of this podcast says it all. And you can't have a podcast that says pulling back the curtain if you're not pulling back the curtain. That's our brand. And that's what we stand for. Hope we answered your question there. But I would say for me, time. Mm, excellent, Perez. I'm with you. <laughs> all right, Jules. So the next question came over from Evan. And so this question right here kind of cracked me up a little bit. So, <laughs> so Evan goes on to say, and Evan's from Sarasota, Florida. He's a former Chicagoan, but he says, uh, what is your go-to meal from Harold's? Yes, sir. I love this question. I like to eat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and Jules, before you go in, for okay. any of our listeners that are outside the Chicagoland area, Harold's is a chicken, we call it a chicken shack, but it's a chicken restaurant in the area. So I have a couple. I have a couple. It depends on my appetite, Perez. Okay. I can go in there and I can give me a 10-wing dinner, mile on, on, on the side. Woo-wee! This man said 10. <laughs> yes, sir. I don't play. <laughs> I don't play. And then, and then another one, I get the half, the half mix. You know, that half, it come with that leg, wing, thigh, and breast. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm the type, I don't like mild sauce on everything. I don't like it sloppy. I just went on the side. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, man, I remember just real quick. I remember it's coming up, man, and w- there was a Harold spot on 59th and Carpenter. We always go to. We go there. I want to say every Friday night. Every Friday night was Harold's night, and we go in there. Moms get that bucket of chicken, man. Get a little mouth, get a bag of fries, have mouth sauce drenching that thing, and ooh, bring me back, man. Hey, this was an excellent question because it brought me back, man. I was like, yes, sir, Harold's. I'm there, man. In fact, I'm gonna get some Harold's tonight. Jules, when you, when you was even talking about that heroes, I was sitting over here smiling, man, because I was thinking the same thing you was thinking. <laughs> hey, that, that inner fat boy was over here. I was loving that. I'm like, yes, sir. Bucket of chicken, sign me up. Well, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Evan, real quick, I'm just going to say this, man, because I, you know, I, I couldn't let you get away with asking us this question. Why'd you assume the two black men from the <laughs> south side of Chicago eat Harold's, bro? <laughs> he, he, he was right, but yeah, right? Yeah, he was question. right. He was right. Good, good question. But you know, press had to hit you real quick. But I'm just fucking with you, man. But to what Jules was saying, I don't go 10, bro, because if I if I had 10 of those weeks and one sitting, I'll be asleep for like two days. So I'm more of like, <laughs> I got to go maybe seven wings, Jules. Okay, that's good. That's respectful. Yeah. So I go seven, mild sauce, but no bread and no coleslaw. Ooh, okay. You don't like the coleslaw? No, nah, and plus, you know why I don't like the bread, guys? I don't like the bread because I don't want nothing getting in the way of my mouth sauce covered on that chicken and the fries. Okay. So okay. that's kind of where I stand. Yeah. So just miss me with the bread. Miss me with the bread. Okay. Just give me that chicken. Give me them fries. But, man, I ain't had Harold's, bro, probably in about, what, since July? It might be time. hmm hmm Evan, you speaking things into existence because now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, well, I did run like five miles yesterday, so maybe. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah, you can go for a 10 piece. <laughs> Seven. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Drew's trying to have me over here sleep for the rest of the weekend. <laughs> oh, man. But no, Evan, shout out to you. That was a good question. Yes, sir. All right. So the last mailback question came over from Marcus. And Marcus is uh, in Sacramento, California. And so Marcus said that he's been kind of keeping to himself the fact that he's gay from his parents. And he asked us, how should he go about coming out to them? Man, Marcus, you didn't have me go put my little thinking cap, my serious mode on. And this question right here is uh, it's a good question because there's a lot of people in Marcus' shoes. Now, recently, Colton Underwood from The Bachelor had just came out to Robin Roberts on, on Good Morning America. And I can just say what he did. He said he, he couldn't do it anymore. He thought about committing suicide and it was just killing him. He called his parents and he just simply just told them. He just came out direct and told them. The response that they gave him was number but love and support. And they said, you could have told us this sooner. And his father even said, what is it I can do to help you even further? Marcus, if your family show you love and support, they will show you love and support in anything you do. Of course, be aware that some people may, it may take a little time, but I believe that you sit down with your parents, be direct with them. As long as you're happy, they're happy. And I, I believe they'll, they'll show you lots of love. Good shit there, man. I say for me, Marcus, I'm sure you're probably wondering a few things with this. You're probably wondering to yourself, man, how are they going to react? Uh, will me telling them change anything? Can I tell them this without them getting upset? Or how should I say it, right? Or when's the best time? Well, you know what, bro? None of that shit matters. Because when I read your question, I said, man, telling your parents to me was much bigger than just simply them knowing about your sexual orientation. I want you to look at this thing in a different lens. You're owning your truth, bro. And you got the courage right now to basically come out and let people know who you are. Because as Jules mentioned with the individual in Hollywood that came out, he couldn't live with himself and the fact that he was basically not being true to himself, not being honest. So when you're able to talk to your family about this, then that means now you're also not living in secrecy anymore. The one thing that I want you to think about that it's about you and who you truly are. So it doesn't really matter like what they think. I want you to kind of protect yourself and your well-being first. I would also suggest maybe, you know, finding like a forum or some sort of an online group for others that basically maybe have had similar experiences and maybe have gone through this because you probably also want to have a support system of people that can kind of help you navigate this. So that's kind of like my, my two cents, but I would say try not to measure the success of that conversation by your parents' initial response. If it's not what you hope for, don't get discouraged because at the end of the day, as I said, it's not about them, man. This is your life. And so whatever you do in this life, you always got to be you and you always got to be true to yourself. That's just the way I see it, man. And I just want to salute you for even reaching out to us with this. And please hit us back up if you need anything else on that, man. Real talk. I second that. Anything else? Any other questions or anything like that? Hey, hit us up. All right, man. So, Jules, as I mentioned in the opener to the audience, a lot of shit that's been going on this week. With the spirit of real talk, I'm going to have to hit y'all with some real talk on my opinion of everything that's been going on and has continued to go on for far too long in this country. This week, we saw that Dante Wright was, was shot and killed by a member of law enforcement. This... uh. This is this is tough for me to even like even express because it draws so many comparisons to me to the 2009 case with Oscar Grant in California. Mm -hmm. 
for our audience that may not even realize what that situation was about, Oscar Grant was shot and killed at the BART station by a BART police officer who said that the shooting at that time was accidental. He basically thought that he was tasing Oscar Grant. Well, that wasn't the case, right? And so Oscar mm-hmm. Grant was handcuffed. He was face down on the platform. He shot and killed. This situation with Dante Wright, you're going to have a lot of people that are going to tell you all type of things about the scenario, about his background, about warrants that he had out, that he was pulled over, that he fleed, all type of things. I don't care about any of that. To me, this is a situation where a 20-year-old child is dead. He was a father. He was a son. Now his mother has to share the grief with the Floyd family. We are right now in the midst of a three-week case where an officer knelt on George Floyd's neck for over nine minutes and killed him. We saw it over and over again last year. And I'm going to go back to something real quick on that. This case has now gone on for three weeks. What we got to talk about for three weeks, that's my first thing there. But now this kid's mom now has to share in that type of grief with the Floyds. And I thought it was really poignant that the Floyd family actually left the trial to go be with Dante Wright's mother to mourn with them. And I thought, wow. Wow. Classy. Mm -hmm. But when do we stop dealing with this type of shit? That's the point that I have here. You got people that are telling you that the officer mistook the taser for a handgun, but it's a 26-year veteran of the force. She's actually trained people on the use of, of handguns. So there's just so many things with this situation, bro, that just really, really pisses me off. But Jules is in law enforcement. I want people to realize Jules is my guy. I don't condone what happened here. But I also know that when I have these kind of conversations with this audience, I'm not pointing a finger at him, but I'm having a real conversation because this is the stuff that fucking really, really angers me, man. I've been in such a mood all week just seeing the stuff that's been going on and how it continues to happen. It's one of those things where I look at it and I say, well, damn, why do people not understand why people are angry? When I look at it, if you're not angry, then you're part of the problem because you don't see what's going on in this country. You don't see these conditions and how the rules are different from one race to the other race. And it just really, really pisses me off because I'm going to tell you guys this, and I'm going to keep saying this on this podcast. Having a warrant doesn't warrant a death sentence. Passing a counterfeit bill does not warrant a death sentence. Driving while black in this country doesn't warrant a death sentence. Wow. I just want to go back with what you talk about, Oscar Grant. It's messed up because what changed is that at that time, the firearm and your taser was on the same side. You can wear it on your same on the same side. After that happened with Oscar Grant, they reformed it where it had to be on the opposite side to avoid mistakes. So we're here with Mr. Wright's situation. Now, as Perez says, I'm, I'm in law enforcement. I've been in law enforcement for 16 years now. I got my brother and cousin on the job, and my wife have at least four cousins that's on the job. So we're a police family. But I'm also a south side of Chicago, born and raised in the Inglewood neighborhood. I wasn't sheltered, and I've been through and seen things. Now, I can come on both views. That's all I can do. I can just give you my opinion and what I think, what I would do, or why I think that happened, or what's the protocol, rules, and regulations. This right here, for the ones who didn't see the video, I'll explain it, but I watched the video because I'm like everybody else. 
How did this happen when I heard about it? I'm like, how the hell did this happen? This is one of the things we did not, we, we don't need this. Like Perez said, we're going through a trial with uh, George Floyd. And America, people, we need to heal. And this doesn't, this doesn't help in any. Everybody seen the video. They pulled him out the car. They gave him, he tried to flee, get back in the car. The, the, the woman officer, Kimberly Potter, she yelled out, taser, 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 with her, her, her gun out. She yelled out, taser, taser, taser. She shot him. And then she said, oh, shit, I shot him. And then, of course, he passed away. He jumped in the car, drove, and he passed away. The thing is, the officers that did wrong, when you know that he, this person had a warrant, okay, he had, to, he had to be placed in custody under arrest. When you get him out the car, you, you, you check the scene to make sure everything is secure. When the scene is secure, you can put away your firearm or any other weapon you have. Because the scene is secure, you no longer need it. Okay, first mistake. Should have put the weapon away. Second mistake, you don't conduct your interview in front of the open door. Have them step to the side or to the back to avoid stuff like that. When you go put the cuffs on them, don't just dick around with the thing. You put the cuffs on them. I mean, I'm sitting here in this cozy chair just speaking on Monday Motor Quarterback, but these are the things that we take, that we looked at, and that we can learn from so this don't happen again. There it is. I mean, the, the only thing I wish, I wish just, I wish the brother would just, just go ahead and just get cuffed up and deal with the situation, man. It's an unfortunate situation. It's a tragedy. Like you said, a, a young kid has grown up without his father, uh, his girls, uh, without, it, without him, his, his family. And we don't need this. We need to heal. We need to come together. We need to heal. We don't need this. And I urge and, pr- and pray and talk to my brother and sister in blue who just, just feel that you have to be aggressive with people of color. You do not. They're people. They're people just like anybody else. Born and raised in church, I'm god friend, man. And the one commandment God said, just treat others like you want to be treated. I say this plenty of times. If you do that, you can go a long way. Friends, that's, that's all I have, brother. I would say that that was heartfelt. And um, from the way that I took those words, I need to hear that more from people in your profession. Thank you for that. The one point that I wanted to make before we uh, introduce our guests on the show here this morning is... You touched on something that I've heard a couple people say, uh, Jules, and it's in, in regards to kind of just wishing that uh, that Dante would have would have complied and, and things of that nature. And I have a, like a slight issue when I've heard people saying that because I don't know if Jules, if you saw what happened in, in Minnesota yesterday, but there was um, there was like a sixty year old white dude. He um, mm-hmm. assaulted mm-hmm. And, and dragged a police mm-hmm. officer in the car, right? So my know, whole thing is this, going. right? So what? My viewpoint on this whole situation is everybody wants to talk to me about reform. Everybody wants to talk to me about changing the way that the policing is done in this country. But you can't reform when there's basically racism at the at the helm of why people are treated differently. Because this guy attacked an employee at a Menards. And audience, if you want to know why he attacked this person, they wanted him to wear a mask. Instead of him wearing his mask, he took out a fucking two by four and assaulted someone in the store. All right. He called the they called the police on when the police tried to apprehend this individual. He fleed, drove off, actually injured a cop. My question, and this is more rhetorical, but I want our audience who may be sitting down, maybe having their coffee when they hear this episode. Think about this for a second. How did this person manage to be arrested without being tasered or without being shot? Why is the treatment of this person? different in comparison to the treatment of a Dante Wright. Why is what I ask? Because Dante Wright was pulled over for 
expired license plate tags, and for hanging air freshener. This son of a bitch assaulted somebody for not being able to wear a mask. And I talk about on this show white privilege and the way that individuals in this country feel like when the laws or where the rules are basically pointed towards them, they don't have to listen to the rules. But you're going to sit here and tell me that I should comply and I should do things a certain kind of way. They told you to wear a fucking mask. Now, with those expired license plate tags and our audience, I hope you guys have done your research because actually over the course of the pandemic, in the state of Minnesota, they actually extended the expiration on those license plate tags because they were giving people extra time to be able to get those things renewed. So now, warrant, no warrant, doesn't matter. Jules already pointed out to you guys how that situation could have been handled differently. I was disappointed that a 26-year veteran of the police force is thinking that she's chasing somebody and that she's shooting him. I still don't really buy that. She's been arrested. The police chief of that town, he was forced to resign. They should have fired him too. They shouldn't even have the option of being able to resign because when he got up there at that press conference and made that piss poor statement, basically saying that it was an accidental discharge. You know what? An accidental discharge is you fucking shitting in your pants, which is what she did out there. You murdered somebody. Call it what the fuck it is. And I salute you, Jules, for getting on this podcast today and speaking truth because you are speaking truth to people that don't have a voice. So I thank you for that, because like he mentioned, he is in a police family, but he's a black man. He's a black man that grew up in the community. So he understands the conditions. We all have to do better. We all have to do better. These times are tough for all of us. And I just want people to just realize that people of color are not your enemy. Mm -hmm. If you've listened to this show and when you listen to the guests that we have coming on in a few minutes, Every one of these individuals is a black entrepreneur, a black CEO. So look at us and the contributions that we are making, that we have made in the past, and the fact that we're not looking for no handouts. We're not looking for anything except for to be treated equally. Give us the respect that we deserve. And if you're going to sit here and not do anything to someone that assaulted someone and injured a cop, and then the 20-year-old kid who was scared probably for his life, who runs back into a car and you shoot and kill him. That is not right. You can't reform that. That's a mentality. So I'm going to get off of this, but all I'm going to say here is we can't keep having this happening. This has to change. Mm -hmm. We have to stop being treated as threatening to other people. When you and I talk about these stories off air, you tell me a lot of things about how you go about doing your job, the things that you're doing to make a difference. I appreciate that, man. What I wish, though, is that I wish that when people tell me, well, Prince, man, it's just a couple bad apples, you know, and this and that. But do they say that same thing, Jules, when we got teenagers out here that are lost in these streets and they get lost into gang violence? They don't make that disparity and they don't say, hey, it's just a couple bad apples. They say the whole bunch is rotten. They paint them with a broad brush. That's a good point. Good point. And, and that's not fair. I just want our mentality. If you if we if we want people to look at one thing a certain way, then why don't we look at everything in that type of lens? Because until we do, we're going to continue to fight against each other. We're going to continue to always have some sort of thing that's going to be dividing us. Right. And that's the thing here that why we have these type of conversations, because we want to educate. We want to start a conversation. We want people to be able to look within. Even if you don't agree with what I said on this podcast, I don't care. That's not what this is about. But it's at least hearing my words and hearing that 
This is somebody that is logically speaking about something that's really bothering him. You don't have to agree with me. But at the simple fact of the matter is, is that we should be respecting each other. It doesn't matter what your, your orientation is, your mm-hmm. race, background. It doesn't fucking matter. Respect at the end of the day. Reciprocity is what is what we need more now than ever. We need understanding and we, we, we need togetherness. Now, I ain't going to lie to you, Perez. That couldn't be me he trying to run over. I would have got him. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I ain't gonna lie to you. And, and, and Prez, you brought up a good point. Accidental, not accidental, but a life is gone for him trying to flee back in the car. It was three of you. Man, somebody need to go to the gym or something. I don't know, but it was three of you. <laughs> I, I, don't I, even, I don't even mean to laugh, but that's, that's facts right there. That's dude, facts. I, you know, one thing about law enforcement, you, you get in a job and you got to take care of yourself. Prez, you know what I do. Yep, I know. I do it for my health and also for the streets, just in case I get in this situation. First, I go in this situation. I don't need. I don't need anything. I rather I rely on my hands. Well, but I already, first, I already, first, I already know. I already know about you. Well, <laughs> well the, the, the first thing I rely on my, on my mouthpiece, and yep, then yep. if I need to switch tactics, I rather go. I rather use my hands because I'm good with it. Brothers and sisters in blue, we got to do brother. On that situation, it couldn't be dealt differently. Now, the brother that they're trying to run people over. Oh, y'all should lick that car up. I ain't gonna lie to you. No, hey, listen, he ain't no brother. Now, I just want to make sure people realize, right. but no, to Jules' right. point, that officer should get some sort of an accommodation because the fact that he was able to hang on the way he did, man, I can't even imagine that scene. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And no, sir. Couldn't be me. So, but no, just what we want to just make sure is when you're listening to these stories that happen, the same benefits that were afforded to that individual is what we want to be afforded to people that look like Dante. That's Correct. it. Exactly right. I'm with you, Chris. Oh, hey, man. Without further ado, we're going to kick this over to our special guest here on the show today. We are joined by my brother, Bomani Mitz, founder of Crave It. Bomani, thanks for pulling up with us today. Talk to him. How you doing, fam? Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a blessing. Man, how you doing over there, man? Doing well. Here in San Francisco, it's, it's like a time warp. It's always the same 50 to 70 degrees all year. You don't know what month it is, so... It's a blessing and a curse at the at the same time, you know. <laughs> Bomani, this is my co-host Jules. Jules Bomani, man, me and him go back, man. Hey, good meet you. Hey, can I call you Bo? What cats call you? I have a ton of nicknames. I can actually rip them off if y'all want to hear some of them. <laughs> go <Okay>. for it. <laughs> uh, so I've got Bomani, Bobo, Bo, B Mints, Minty Fresh, B-Mints. Bobo Trice, <laughs> Bo Monster, uh, Bo Jangles, Bo Jangles. And- yeah, Bojangles. Yeah. So what's ironic is all of these names were in different points of my life, these uh, these nicknames, because my last name's Mints, you know, so uh-huh. Minty Fresh, B Mints, you know, that all that all uh, established at different points, mainly most of my, my nickname. Oh, and uh, the last one, my first nickname was actually Romeo back when I was uh, six years old. Romeo. Outside of that, though. Yeah. <laughs> 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 hey, what was you? Hey, what was you doing that six years old? They'd be called Romeo, man. You know, I, honestly, it was it was from one of my uh, my swim coaches because I grew up being a, a competitive black swimmer. You know, I was one of the only black competitive swimmers. And, oh, you're using um, an anomaly. Yeah, I was just uh, I was just called Romeo. You know, I liked uh, I like connecting with the the older women that were you know the swim coaches. So I think oh yeah, I think that's how I got my name. That's okay, what's up. that's what's yeah, up. I like that. While he was over here talking, audience, I just changed his uh, name in my in my phone context to Romeo, so no oh. longer. <laughs> 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 
Romeo, Romeo, leave it, leave a beep at the. Yeah. <laughs> Romeo, this is Bomari. What the hell? Wrong number. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude. So, so one of the things, the reason why I wanted to get Bomani on the show, man, is I've kind of been following his journey for the last couple of years, man. He and I worked together when we were at LinkedIn, and I got to tell the story, yeah. Bomani, about when we first met. We were at a, at a sales kickoff, man. And I, I don't know if you recall the, the specifics, but we're at the sales kickoff. And I mean, our company, they, they used to hook us up, man. So they fly us out to Cali, all expenses paid. Those were the golden days. Man, those were the golden days, man. I can't even, listen, I can't even get a tablet to write notes in now, but I, that, that company spoiled the shit out of us, man. But anyway, <laughs> but so they set up, it was all like a track and field type of event, right? And so Jules, you know, I ran back in the day and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So... I signed up for this thing, but I'm thinking like, man, I'm a little older, man. I work around all these young cats, man. This shit going to be crazy, but whatever. I, I still signed up. So then I connected with Bomani, another cat, Jonathan. And we were always like, man, we're like the only brothers in here, man. Let's let's sign up for this little relay. So we we, we jump right. on this relay, right? And now, Jules, you're probably thinking, all right, so Bomani, he probably, you know, probably athletic because you're hearing about his story about being a swimmer. You know, uh-huh. you remember me in the past. And then, well, Jonathan was like, freaking fastest dude I hadn't seen in, in some time. So you're probably thinking, Jules, they probably beat the shit out of whoever they ran in that relay. Nope. Because <laughs> there was a sign-up sheet and we didn't realize that somebody else signed up on the sheet on our team. And no disrespect to this person, but she's probably like the slowest person I've ever seen in my life. It looked like you ever watch on Baywatch, bro, when they run it from, oh, the, oh, <laughs> from the sand to the, to the, to the land. The slow motions? The slow motion, bro. Dude, Bomani, you remember this? She was running so slow that I had to go to the 50-yard meter to get the damn baton from her because I was like, if we keep this up, we're going to get laps. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Damn. I know. I know. Everything started off on the right foot, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's funny how that how things changed. Oh, we so, got this. Oh, this will be a piece of cake. You know, we're, yep. all, we're in shape. <laughs> yep. But so, and one thing I want our audience to, to think about is never take a victory lap. <laughs> before it's actually time to compete because the three of us i think we're taking a little victory lap in our minds right so the, the point of telling this story is a shout out to us because we were literally like 50 meters behind everybody and we we went from a millimeter of winning that race after basically being behind now for people that don't know track <laughs> a four by one race that shit is over in a blink of an eye <laughs> yeah and so so but long story short about that was I learned a lot about the characters of these two brothers in that moment, because even though that individual wasn't that good and it, it wasn't the best experience there, we still had something to laugh about. We st- also still remember together, like, man, we still could have won that. <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> but no, man, but that, that was one of the things with him. And then, man, after that track event, the three of us, along with some other people, man, we just basically chopped it up for the rest of that weekend. And I remember like having some really, good conversations with Bomani, and I realized, man, this cat might be a little younger, man, but he's got a, a head on his shoulders, bro. And so I was listening to him and, and, and how his journey landed him even to come to LinkedIn, and I said, bro, he ain't low for this corporate shit. Like, he got a bigger why, and he's got a mm-hmm. bigger reason for what he's doing. And so that's why I want to get him on the show today, because I wanted, Bomani, for you, just kind of walk people through your journey. What brought you particularly to LinkedIn? Because I know you shared that story with me many moons ago, but can you just talk people through that journey of basically why you started there and then really where you saw that role taking you and your 
basically professional endeavors. Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate that. I uh, I haven't thought about this in a long time, it's, but it's still very vivid in my mind. So um, this is this was 2014. As you mentioned, I was in Texas at this point. Early on in 2014, started working in uh, staffing and recruiting for an oil and gas agency to help people find jobs with an oil and gas in the the Houston, Texas uh, metropolitan area. And I uh, I got into that specifically because I was also on the board of the American Marketing Association at that time in collegiate relations. And I was helping the University of Houston and Rice University with any of the students uh, coming out of that school with with job opportunities. I thought that was just great. I had recently graduated from college about uh, a year prior to this. And I loved basically helping people find jobs because it brought me so much joy. It's, It's one of those things where you can truly change someone's life by giving them a job opportunity for their friends, their family, uh, you know, even their well-being. And I think we've all had jobs that we haven't liked or have extremely had challenges with. And, yes, you know, so, I, you know, I, I like doing that. And a lot of people are like, you know, yo, you should go recruiting. You should go recruiting. Like, you're really good. You like networking, go recruiting. And I was like, huh, maybe I'll do that. So I ended up switching jobs. I used to work prior to that at CBS Sports with the Texans and sales switched over to recruiting and uh, loved it for the most part. Uh, loved helping people find jobs, interview people, work with different companies. And at that time, like I was on LinkedIn constantly. I'm sure you all are familiar with LinkedIn and recruiters on LinkedIn. I, I was on it constantly, and you know, I had I had set up a LinkedIn back in my junior year in college. You know, this was this was before this was early. You know, or I guess mid 2000s. And you know, I was hip to LinkedIn. I loved it. It was a platform that I liked. And I realized later that year, uh, I interviewed at Google, and there's a funny story behind this that I can I can mention later. Interviewed at Google because you know I was always infatuated by technology, but I I really didn't at that time, especially growing up in the DC area, it wasn't really something talked about other than like, oh, you need to be an engineer. If you're not an engineer, you can't really work in technology. But anyway, long story short, interviewed at Google, ended up not getting a job. And I was like, man, I need to get out to California. The future's out there. Everything's happening. And uh, luckily, at that time, I was referred to one of my my friend's girlfriends at the time, got a job at LinkedIn. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is this is my opportunity. This is great. And she was like, OK, cool. Like, let me work there for a couple months. Then I can refer you. I was like, okay, okay. You know, I'll, uh, I'm like chomping at the bit, right? This is my opportunity. I just got turned down to Google. I need to show them. And at that time, which was ironic, is that LinkedIn was also sharing the campus with Google. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> so I remember I really, that. I remember that. Yep. <laughs> so I really wanted to get out of that campus, you know? And, Fle- uh, and flex on them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm on the right side this time, you know? Yep. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, a couple months went by and uh, I had some friends from the DC area that lived in San Diego. And this was like November, 2014. And I uh, went out there and I had a, a ball. I'd always wanted to, you know, live in California anyway, like since like the days of like Rocket Power and Nickelodeon. I was like a sucker for the OC and Laguna Beach and all that stuff. I was like, I see myself out there. So that was uh, Thanksgiving 2014. I said, you know what? I'm going to move to California by April 2015, no matter what. Went back to Texas, hit her up. And she said, you know, this is this is a great time to apply for LinkedIn. Applied for LinkedIn for customer success role, because that's really what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to, you know, work with customers, be 
on the forefront of product, but I didn't have the experience that they said I needed. So they said I could, you know, focus going into sales development. I was like, well, I really don't want to get into sales, but at the same time, like I'm willing to be the janitor. I just want to get into LinkedIn uh, because I believe in the company and, you know, helping out the world and, and jobs. So I interviewed for a sales development role and sort of fast-tracked the process. I had that sort of sales experience. The interview process went well. They were like, okay, your next interview will be, you know, over, you know, over video. And I was like, I got to get in front of these people. If I'm over video and I'm not in front of them, I'm not going to get this job because probably everybody else is applying for this job in California. I was like, I can fly out there next week. In fact, I can be out there tomorrow if you need me. And they're like, okay, like, well, we'll fly you out. So flew out to LinkedIn. I'll never forget this day was pouring. I was in like a, a three-piece suit. I walk into the office. Everyone's in t-shirts. And <laughs> oh, I was like, what? Because you know, I'm from Texas. Uh, you know, I was in Texas and from the East Coast, like people wore suits. So I stuck out like a, a uh, you know, Thor Summon and uh, g- did the interview and it went well. It was intense. It was like five hours met with so many different people. At the end of the interview, my referral and I were upstairs. And this is sort of the crazy part of the culture of LinkedIn. I, I was upstairs having a beer with her in the office. There's this yep. thing called tappy hour on yep. Fridays where, you know, everyone came together as coworkers and, you know, shared, shared stories, had beer, you know, whatever, went out with each other. And the recruiter pings me and she said, Hey, you know, I was going to send you an email, but since you're already here, you know, why don't you come over to, uh, come over to my desk? She saw me in tappy hour and I was like, okay, what's going on? And she's like, well, I just want to let you know, you got the job. And I was like, Oh my mm. gosh. Same day, got the job. They wanted me to go, you know. So that's that changed my life because that was sort of the the ticket for for two different things. One, I wanted to work in tech, and I wanted to work in tech at a company that really I thought was changing the world and giving people uh, true economic opportunity, which I believe and still believe LinkedIn is doing. Mm-hmm. But also, I wanted to start my own food tech company, and I realized the only way to really do that is to work in tech to understand how to you know network with people, build the right team, understand how tech works. And I thought that was the best opportunity for me. I had started a business before in college and you know I could do some wireframes, which are basically like mocking out what the user experience looked like just, just out of like emotion, how I want a user experience to be. But I knew that I needed to work in tech. So you know that was the story and that was my ticket to working in tech, moved to San Francisco in January, 2015, beat my quota by four months. As you remember, I said by April, 2015. So I was mm-hmm. you know, pumped, moved there with nothing, had five suitcases, slept on couches and, and air mattresses. And, and uh, here we are today. Well, so a couple of things for our audience to think about with that journey that you brought up. A, the fact that he had top of mind where he wanted to be, right? He was willing to do whatever mm-hmm. it took to get there, right? And a lot of times we talk on this show about the fact that sometimes we have to humble ourselves in our careers and our life, wherever your future desired state is, that's cool. But sometimes you got to take a slight step back to get to where you want to get to. And so in that message that Bomani mentioned, he saw himself in a, in a role that was different than what the company had available. And he said, you know what? I just want to get my foot in the door because I know once I get my foot in the door, I'm going to get wherever I need to get to. On top of that, though, he had basically in his mind already figured out, hey, I want to do this food tech startup anyway. So now I'm going to basically sit here in this role, excel in this role, but I'm going to learn. Because think about it. When you're in a company like LinkedIn, and a lot of our listeners probably don't even realize, that company, Bomani, I worked around some of the most intelligent, smartest people I've ever known in my life, right? And so 
being able to soak that type of experience in, think about how many people from LinkedIn that we know have all gone on to start their own ventures. And there's tons of them. And so that was the opportunity that I was blessed with, that Bomani was blessed with. And we have to make sure as a people that we're putting ourselves in these type of rooms where we can get exposure to these type of things so we can elevate. And then once we do elevate, now we can go back and pull somebody up with us. So exactly. those are just some things that I wanted mm-hmm. to, that's some things that I wanted to point out there. How about hey, your hey, journey? Pre- hey, President, don't forget that damn power suit he had on. That's what did it. Oh, hey, well. hey, b mints that power suit, that's what, hey, that's what got you in the door, man. Hey, Jules, I got, I got a quick one for you on that. Whenever, okay. whenever people would come in the office with the suits like that, we would always clown them. Like, we'd be like, oh, yeah. we'd be like, dead man walking. <laughs> <laughs> because we would be in that Jules t-shirt, jeans, Jordans. That was my, that was my daily attire at that office. Nice. You know what I mean? And so when they would come in suited and booty, you like, okay, they, they come in here to interview. Okay. <laughs> That's right. And, and Bomani, I was a troll because I sat like right in the front of the row. So whenever like the person would go to the interview, that, that little office would be right there. And I would be like, oh, no, no. I'd be like, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I bet that person looking so around like, psyching what? somebody out. Yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. I would do, I would oh, do it man. every time. And then one time, this one person that ended up getting hired, I didn't even remember the person. He came back to my, my desk and he was like, I did it. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like the hell are you talking about? Then I'm like, oh, I was like, oh, shit, props. I was like, props to you, man. I was like, <laughs> I was like, we'll see if you last a year. So I always had something to say. <laughs> but, have them but, thinking. Uh, yeah, have them thinking. Yeah. But Bomani for you, right? So you brought up a lot of like great things there with, with kind of like that journey. So what was mm. the thing in that role, right? For you starting out, obviously yeah, you were doing yeah. the, the you were doing the couch surfing. You were basically yeah, just yeah. kind of like in a point of limbo. What was the most yeah. challenging aspect of that for you? Also trying to build up your professional uh, expertise and background as well. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was twofold. I think you know I've moved multiple times in my life, and moving to San Francisco was definitely the hardest move I had to make. One of which um, was because uh, not not that I didn't know anybody. I knew like one or two people, which was fine. But also the living situation at that time in San Francisco was just abysmal in the sense of that everyone was looking for real estate. Everyone was looking for housing. And that's when the landlords were taking full advantage. They went in first month, last month, security deposits. So, you know, it's spending thousands of dollars just to move into a place unless you knew somebody in the city that had a place, right? So... And a lot of people might not realize this, or maybe you've been in these situations, but like, if you don't have a good living situation, you're kind of on edge. Cause you're like, I'm sleeping on a couch. You know, I might not be welcome that much longer. I'm sleeping on an air mattress. Like, I'm not comfortable at home. So that was like a huge adjustment issue. And mind you, when I did find a place that I had to, you know, share a room with and have it at air mattress, cause back then this is going to sound crazy, but a two bedroom apartment in San Francisco was $4,400 a month. And we didn't have, yeah. So we had one roommate that had their own room and then I shared a room. So I I spent $1,400 a month to sleep on the air mattress to share a room at that time, which was insane. And by the way, the two roommates that I had, their companies provided them internet. So they were like, you know, we don't need internet for the apartment. So I had to get like a hotspot, you know, I was on my, my, my phone and, you know, trying to, you know, 
download stuff because they didn't want to have internet at the apartment. So that was a whole other situation. So that's sort of the living situation that I came into in San Francisco. Then the other side of the work situation sort of threat Prez's point is like, I was surrounded by the best people that I've ever met in the world, top performers. Everyone went to almost an Ivy League school that I knew, Stanford, Harvard, Yale, you know. And I went to a state school. I went to Virginia Commonwealth, VCU, go Rams, Shaka Smart. Everybody remembers us in the final four. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone... But at that time, I had I kind of had a leg up, right? Because it was uh, it was like two years, uh, maybe like three years after the the tournament where we were there. So people knew what the school was. If we didn't make the tournament to the final four, people would have been like, "What is that? I've never heard of that school," you know. So that was sort of the environment that I was in, which basically was like, I need to be a top performer. I need to perform. I'm amongst performers, which I liked to be honest. But it was very. It was at the beginning very. Um, difficult to sort of get adjusted to the world in which tech is in based on sort of the performance, A, being in sales, but also learning like new systems and also culture and meeting new people from different backgrounds. I think one of the good things is that everyone's fairly young at that point, but I had to, you know, adjust and adapt because like, I didn't want to be the only person, you know, A, that was like black too, that wasn't performing, you know, because, you know, there's a whole stigma around that. So I made sure that I was, uh, you know, one of the best performers and grew. And then I also took it on my own to like, I was like, I need to network and meet as many people at this company as possible. This is like a gold mine. There's every single person you can imagine. I almost looked at it like college, like, okay, there's sales, there's engineering, there's marketing, there's customer success. I was like, these are some of the best people in the world. Like I need to meet all of these people because who knows, maybe some of these people will be part of my team one day, right? As I'm thinking about building out my own company. So like I I had so many coffee meetings, anyone that I could talk to, I would network with. And not only in San Francisco, but like, you know, New York, Chicago, you know, over overseas, like you name it. I was, uh, I was about, I just wanted to, you know, build my, my professional brand and, and, uh, and shine while I was at LinkedIn and, and I was blessed to have the opportunity to do so. So a couple things, audience, that for, for you to guys to think about. So that living situation that he talked about, when I met a lot of those cats that lived out in that California region, I couldn't believe that what they were paying in rent. I said, mm-hmm. man, in Chicago, Mm-mm. I complain about what I pay for a mortgage. I'm like, when right. this one guy was like, yeah, I pay like eight grand a month. I'm like, eight grand? I'm like, what, you got a mansion? Right, right. <laughs> uh, and he was wow. showing pictures and he's like, no, not even close. But that speaks to a couple things. That speaks to that real estate situation there in California. That shit is real. But mm-hmm. the thing that I want people to think about is that's a sacrifice, the fact that you were sharing a room, you're a grown ass man. You shared a room with somebody, you know. Right. So- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I took a couple parallels from that. You talked about the way your mentality was when you started at LinkedIn, is you viewed it like being at college again. Well, guess what? Because you had a roommate. You was like right. you was on campus, and that yeah, LinkedIn yeah, yeah. office was a giant campus. So you guys had a true experience of even feeling like you were away somewhere. And right. I love the fact that that story because I didn't even notice about you. I knew you were a networker and you basically made your moves, but I didn't realize at that time why you were doing what you were doing. And that was mm-hmm. the, the the best part about that. Cause after all these years when we, we reconnected and you told me what you were up to, I was like, Oh, now I see what he was on. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's great. That's true. Why is Hawaii always talking to the engineering department? What's going on? Yeah, you know, like, well, any I'm issues? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, man, he must have some issues with his accounts. Oh, what he doing? <laughs> <laughs> but to that point, though, at Bomani, you know where I'm going with this. One of the big things that we had when we worked at LinkedIn together was relationships matter, right? Right, and huge pillar. Huge, huge pillar. company pillar. And so that's something that I actually took from my time at LinkedIn. And that's something that Jules and I do on this podcast. I leverage a lot of my personal relationships with people that I know to not only can help us build this brand, but people that we can bring over here to amplify what they're doing. So like people like yourself, but in general, that's now giving an empowerment to the people that listen to our show for them to do the same. Because you know what? Your net worth is nothing but your network. And so, 100%. It's that, that's one of the truest statements ever. And so I think more people have to like come down to that, that viewpoint because for you now, Bomani, you talked about the relationships that you leveraged, the business that you even had in college, even though that right. that wasn't like something that, okay, made it mainstream, but that was still experience, right? You took yeah. that experience and I'm sure you're leveraging that with what you're doing now, but talk to us really quickly about how you make that pivot from LinkedIn to what you're doing now with Craving, because I'm sure that that's going to be a fascinating story. Ooh, that was that was a huge journey. <laughs> I think uh, I think it uh, my my journey with it is 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 a little bit different than than other people's, and uh, I'm excited to share that journey because I I think it's very raw and it's very real. Uh, so when I you know when I moved to San Francisco. Work for LinkedIn, you know, was around uh, very talented people. People welcomed me with open arms, which was, uh, you know, a blessing in of itself. And I wanted to, you know, build as many relationships as possible, as I mentioned. And, and one of the things I want to do is like, I want to start building my team for, for Crave It. Um, at that time, it wasn't called Crave It, it was called View Mew, <laughs> which stood for viewing menus in photo form. And, you know, San Francisco and LA are pretty, pretty parallel in this, in this sense, because in San Francisco, you can theoretically throw a rock down the street and you'll hit an engineer, a designer, and like a product marketer, right? So no shortage of talent in the, in the tech space. Uh, so you'd think, oh, it's pretty easy to, you know, find a team, find people who are passionate and motivated. That's why people move here from all around the world to, you know, pursue their dreams similar to Hollywood, right? People move to uh, Los Angeles, Hollywood to pursue acting, modeling, you know, and of course there's abundance of people in that, that city as well. But the reality of it is that a lot of those people have great jobs and they don't want to work more than, you know, six to eight hours a day, right? So you're faced with being an up and coming entrepreneur and having to try and sell your idea to people that have the skill sets to build it. And I've used this example before. It would almost be like me having a script and going up to, I don't know, George Clooney or Robert De Niro and say, hey, you know, man, I got a really great script. I want you to star in it. And they say, who the hell are you? Why would I waste my time doing a script that no one knows about or no one, you don't have a name for yourself? No, I'm good. Like, I make enough money. I have a good career. I have a good background, like, later. And that was sort of the first experience that I had with, like, trying to find a co-founder as well as like just getting feedback or ideas. And, you know, honestly, people at that time weren't as uh, receptive. And I think it's, it's also because like 
that's what everybody does. Oh, I have an idea. Let me find a developer. So they also were sort of bogged down with like the idea of people always hitting them up about ideas that weren't really like flushed out. So that was sort of the, the stereotype with that. But, you know, I kept going. Um, I didn't look at that as like, you know, defeat. And ironically, my first, uh, my first co-founder that I had um, grew up with me in the DC area, went to the same high school, went to the same college, and I uh, was working at LinkedIn. We had a lot of mutual friends, but we didn't know each other until we met at, at, uh, at LinkedIn. What's really funny to sort of circle back is, remember I said I didn't get that job at uh, Google. This was to be on the Google Glass team. I went through six rounds of interviews and I uh, was one of the last candidates and they, um, they didn't pull the trigger. It's furious, right? Mm. Now I'm uh, with, my, uh, with my co-founder. He, be- he became my co-founder. And uh, the person that got the job was him. And he worked at LinkedIn and he became my co-founder. So wow. that's, that's full oh, wow. circle. Yeah, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Damn. Wow. <laughs> what are the chances, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so we, we instantly like hit it off. And, um, you know, I was like, look, I, I need a co-founder. Um, he wasn't technical. He was on the, the CS team, customer success team, and uh, had similar backgrounds, but was like a go-getter, passionate guy named Mike. We, yeah, we, we sort of hit the pavement and, you know, tried to find someone that could essentially build this idea out for us because, you know, A, we didn't really know, but I mean, we were willing to, you know, do whatever it took to, you know, materialize the idea. Our first person that we found uh, was a developer that was in, uh, not in the United States at all. They were in Canada. And at this time, back before uh, a lot of things happened in tech uh, that prevented people from having a larger team, this is at a time when one developer could do what's called the front end. So it's like, if you look at a house, it's like, how does the 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 exterior of the house look like the the makeup of the house, the windows, the doors, the painting, front end developer, mm-hmm. back end developer is the essentially like the infrastructure and the plumber, right, of the house, the foundation, what makes it strong, what makes it last. At that time, one person could do both based on some of the systems that were in place. And we were unfamiliar too, which was really funny is like people think, oh, you know, I have an idea. I just need a developer, which is, you know, an engineer to build this idea and then we're good. No, you need way more than that. And the assumption is, oh, they can build it. Like they can also design it too as well. <laughs> so first developer we had, and, you know, mind you, like anyone that agrees to do any development work for you is looking for compensation. They're not mm-hmm. doing stuff for free unless they're like someone you're really close with and wants to be part of the founding team. So again, we had to take money of our own, out of our own pockets to uh, to pay this person it wasn't that much, um, which I'll sort of later tell you all about why. But uh, it wasn't that much. Long story short, that person sort of broke down. There's too many things happening. Um, worked with them for about you know three and a half months. Basically had no product, and she uh, she quit. This was uh, late 2016, 2017 rolled around. We were blessed to have the opportunity to get referred to the development program called App Academy, which is great it's for developers referred and had one developer build out the back end for us, which is again, the plumbing, the foundation. That person ended up leaving. And then we found a front end developer. Um, that person stayed. We found a designer. That person left. Long story short, we went through 
four designers, three engineers, and uh, I ended up having to, to let my co-founder go just because uh, we both wanted to live different lifestyles. So uh, four designers, four developers, a co-founder exit until I was able to find a new co-founder that was technical because that was one of the first mistakes that I sort of made as a founder is that you need to have someone technical on your founding team, especially in tech, because it, you know, it's a tech product, right? It's almost like you wanting to create uh, a plumbing business or being a dentist, but no one has any plumbing or dentist experience. So they're like, what? Mm-hmm. This doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So, but it's funny because in hindsight, you're like, oh yeah, yeah. Like, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll get people, you know, but so that's what it took. And thousands, tens of thousands of dollars later, uh, I was able to leave LinkedIn with my co-founder and uh, build out the first version of the platform. Um, but it was a transition in which kind of I had been aiming for, but also like trying to figure out how to save enough money because I was sort of in the situation where all of the money that I was making, I was also saving, but then I was spending upwards of over a thousand or more dollars a month to pay people to build the platform, right? So that puts us in a situation of, well, the stuff I'm saving to leave LinkedIn, I'm actually using to build, you know, the product out. So it took me longer than I had expected to, you know, build out the safety net. And then also, mind you, Prez was saying, like, I was in San Francisco. It's not like I was in some little town. You know, I was in the most expensive city in the country. So the rents were insane. So you have to think, okay, like, my rent is, you know, if my rent's sixteen, seventeen hundred dollars a month times twelve, that's baseline Ooh. just for me not to be evicted, right? Like that's just that's not even food, right? <laughs> you know, so it's like, and looking at that and the you know the challenges with that, um, but I was you know fortunate enough to make it happen. Um, I made sure, you know, I did what I could to get promoted at you know LinkedIn to have you know some safety nets and. Um, you know, yeah, I made that, I made that transition. It kind of happened within like a week after talking to another founder who was like, look, like, you know, people, people are going to value you. Like you're going to have to raise money, but you need to leave your company. Otherwise people are, why am I going to invest in someone that's not full-time on what they're doing, which is sort of a, it hits home for me in the sense that like, I don't really believe in that statement. I feel like that's a statement of entitlement. People mm-hmm. that have a lot of money, of course, you know, they have a safety net. Of course they can work on it full time, but just because like you can't work on something full time doesn't mean you're a hundred percent not fully in and invest in what you're doing. You know, that's why you're actually doing two things because you're so invested, <laughs> but you know, that's uh, that was a little bit of my journey of uh, leaving LinkedIn or, you know, being at LinkedIn, bootstrapping, spending my own money, savings, figuring out how I'm going to build the company, going through a lot of trauma and pain and hurdles of, you know, people leaving, um, not believing. Also, people just, quite frankly, there's, there's a small pool of people that don't want to work or, or want to work 12 to 14 hour days. Most people don't want to do that. Most people barely want to work eight. So you're also mm-hmm. looking for a pool of talent that's like, yo, I have my nine to five because you want to find someone that is, you know, in a financially stable position, but I'm also able because I'm bored at work or I want to make a difference where I'm willing to work three to four hours outside of work every night on an idea that someone else has, right? You can imagine the pool just shrinks, but that's what it takes. It really does. And one thing that I wanted to throw in real quick to you on what you were saying, talk to some of our 
audience that may be budding the idea right now. They may be in a nine to five and they may realize, hey, I want to do something else. I want to make an impact. I have an idea. I want to develop it. I don't know how to even get this thing off the ground. Talk to those individuals, Bomani, about how did you maximize your time in a day to be able to focus Mm -hmm. on what you were doing at LinkedIn, but then also some of this work that you were doing on the side with trying to get your, your product and your idea out to the masses? Yeah, honestly, it's it's extremely, extremely hard. I think one of the things I realized is that, you know, when I first started at LinkedIn, I was in sales, super stressed because of, you know, having a quota. <laughs> it's just something that this, that's on your mind. And I was, you know, I was like, in order for me to do this, like, I need to excel at my job. Uh, but quite frankly, I need to get another job that I don't have a quote on so I can have more time to devote to the company, right? So I had to basically do a career shift, which I ended up, like I said earlier, like I wanted to be in customer success from day one. So I had to you know, fight to get into customer success at the company and then get into a state where I was like in a good place where I could take on more work. But I strategically did that because I knew, A, if I was in customer success, I would still be working with sales individuals. I would be in conversation with design engineering, which is great for building a company because now I have exposure to almost all sides of the business and sale uh, and product and operations, right? So I was like, this is the best role. And I didn't have a quota. And I knew I could consolidate my time and you know really crush it and just be heads down for six and a half, seven, seven hours a day. And then after work, have the headspace to work on something for, you know, two to three hours or four hours a night. So I first had to make that career switch and I had to perform. That's one thing, like you have to look at your time. Like, do I have the time right now to devote to something that I, that I have an idea about and I'm passionate about? If you don't, how can I get that time back in my day? Cause the reality is everyone has 24 hours, you know, like Jeff Bezos has 24 hours in a day, right? I have 24 hours in a day. Mm-hmm. His time is way different than than my time and how he maximizes it. And you know, we can talk about that in a in a second here. But a, that's the first thing. How can I maximize my time to do what I want to do? B, I would say before you even sort of make that shift, you have to pretty much know exactly what you want to do. And I, I get this question a lot. Like, you know, I'm thinking about starting a business. How do I get started? How do I build my team? And really, like, depending upon what kind of business you're developing, you have to decide what type of business you're developing. What I mean by that is, like, is it a lifestyle company? Is this going to be a venture-backed company? Because that dictates the amount of time that you're going to invest in something. And if you don't know that first, then it's very hard to do everything else. So that's, like, square one. And then the other thing, too, is, like, okay, let's say your nine-to-five is extremely busy. Is this something where you are thinking about it every single day and it can't get off your mind and you're, any free time that you have, you're willing to put into that, right? If that is not the case, it might not be something that you're, you're, you truly want to do. You almost have to be obsessed with the idea and how to get to the next step with the idea. Because quite frankly, a lot of people have good business ideas. A lot of people have ideas around business. But as I just mentioned in my story, like I went through four designers, four engineers, and a co-founder exit. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. I wasn't passionate about it, I would have given up. Why would I keep going? 
right? right. That's the reality of it is mm-hmm. like, you have to pursue stuff that you're so passionate about that no matter what the hurdles are, you're going to push forward. Cause if you don't, then you're just going to, you know, kind of give up. Oh, it was just an idea. You know, I worked on it for a couple of months, like whatever. Right. So that's sort of, you know, how I view and, you know, how I look at it. But the other, the other piece of this too, is like closed mouths don't get fed. And uh-huh. I realized that at like an early age. So like, if people don't know what you're working on and what you're trying to do, how can they help you? Cause the reality is people, everybody knows somebody. So if you tell somebody something, someone might mention it to another friend or ping you like, Hey, I just met someone at this networking event. I want you to meet them. They're doing blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's honestly how things truly happen in right. today's world, especially now more so with like the digital world too. Cause you really have two worlds working for you. You have your digital online presence, then you have your, you know, in-person presence, So that's, those are some pieces that I have as far as like, you know, advice as far as like just first steps, not even like, you know, uh, for tech companies or, you know, a company in general, like, do you want to pursue this? Do you have enough time to do it? Are you willing to make more time to do it? And can you not stop thinking about this? Those are just baseline things um, to consider. No, that's totally fair because I almost think, in addition to being passionate, you got to be damn near obsessive over what you're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to. Because I'm thinking about the story that you, you, you talked about the different developers and the co-founder and all these different things that you went through. Most people, when they get hit with a little bit of adversity, when they have something going on, they fold. Right, and I think that yeah. that was an important lesson that you taught to people because, yeah, there's a, there's a difference between having a good idea, but not only having a good idea, but also having the wherewithal to know how to execute that idea. And when the first sign of adversity pops up, still being able to withstand that and keep going. So I think that's important. I'm glad you brought that up for for the audience here. It's tough, especially, I think, one of the things, too, as people are listening to this and, you know, thinking about business or just in in general, um, those people are listening is like, I can assure you all that it's a hundred times harder when it's yours and your baby. It's one thing to get fired from a job. It's one thing to fire someone else from a job because that's not your company. It's another thing when you're building it from the ground up and people are leaving, right? Or not believing. It's completely different. And you, you know, that's one of the hardest things is um, believing in yourself even when other people don't believe in you. Hey, that's that's some real shit right there because when you hear the stories of a lot of people that bootstrap like what you did with uh with crave it but mm-hmm. you hear people when they say man i had this idea i believed in it dude everybody was telling me that this is like the dumbest idea or people were like i don't get it like what's the point right. right and so a lot of times people their worst uh enemies sometimes aren't themselves but it's sometimes the people that are around them that because they have the inability to think bigger or, or to yes, push yeah. themselves they did try to poke holes in what you're doing. And that's something that I've dealt with with doing this podcast venture that I'm doing. You have so many people that were like, yeah, I mean, that's cool, but there's a million and one podcast out there. And you know what I say to them, Bamani? What's that? They're not me. That's right. There we go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there's plenty of space. Uh-huh. And Jules, you're going to test this too. There's plenty of space in the market. I mean, right. there's over 7 billion people in the world. Come on. Of course, there's going to be a lot of other companies, podcasts, whatever, but needs to be. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's it is so much white space. And, yeah. and so for what I want to transition to talk into now is I want now you to tell our audience about Crave It, man, because 
when yeah, sure. bro listen jules you, you we were talking earlier about heralds and all the food and stuff like that and i was getting hungry over here <laughs> listeners do not follow this man if you hungry i'm just gonna tell you that <laughs> don't follow his instagram don't follow any of that stuff because i'm telling you they be posting some stuff and i'm like buddy why are you doing this it's eight o'clock in the morning bro <laughs> Somebody oh, no. told me the other day that we, we post heart attack eats, comatose eats too. Yep, comatose eats. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll do better. We we'll, we got some vegan eats and some other really good uh, good salads and some other stuff on there too. It's not all just burgers and pizza and tacos. And <laughs> did you uh? That. Were you able to uh, connect with Ari from uh, uh, Bandy's? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. We we will be soon though. I appreciate uh you looking out. Very, very excited for that. Yeah, because conversation. I, yeah, because when you said the vegan eats part, I was like, yeah, that'd be right up that alley right there. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Food is food is for everyone. So you mentioned, hey, you know what? This is the venture here. We've kind of gotten this thing close to the finish line. So where are you guys at now? What what's kind of like the, the theme of what you guys are out? Because from what I've noticed about the app and I want you to be able to tell that story, but it just seems like it's a social app for people that love food. But what's in essence, are you guys doing? Yeah, that's the one line. And you got that down pat. That's good. I like that. Uh, so yeah, I'll get, <laughs> I'll, I'll give a, a brief uh, overview of, you know, what Crave It is and what we're really trying to build. Like you mentioned, uh, Crave It is a social app for food lovers and we make it easy to find and share what to eat, where to eat, and what to cook through photos and video reviews. And I think as, as people, we all love to talk about what we like to eat, whether it's a home-cooked meal, whether it's a, a dish at a restaurant, you know, you name it. At Crave It, we're truly building a community that's focused on food, not just restaurants and food lovers, but chefs, tastemakers, pop-up owners, distributors, at-home chefs, you know, you name it. This is an ecosystem, or as I like to say, a foodtopia where everyone has their own voice and can interact in one succinct platform. And today, as we look at the, the market with food, it is so fragmented. There is so much white space. You know, if you, if you really think about food, and I'll break this up into sort of like four quadrants, there's a social aspect of food right now. So people are posting photos and videos of food, right? They're posting those on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, right? Not food platforms, just social platforms. Then there's recommendations, right? Where do you get food recommendations? Well, you might look at Google, uh, Thrillist, Eater, Yelp, Pinterest for uh, for recipes, Google, again, for, for recipes, right? Again, very fragmented, um, not tailored, uh, the infatuation for uh, for restaurant vibes. Then there's discussions around food, right? Oftentimes people are posting uh, Facebook statuses, Twitter statuses, or people are joining Facebook groups specifically for food in their city, their town, uh, their state. And then the last piece is the ability, if you're lucky, to save these recommendations. And those recommendations are being saved on Excel spreadsheets, notepads, uh, iPhone notes, or they're just forgotten. And what I wondered is why isn't there one single destination for all things food? Why isn't there one app that allows you to be able to post and share the food that you're eating, whether it's at home or at restaurants, but also be inspired by other people and the food that they're eating and understand different cultures, break down barriers, interact with chefs, restaurant owners, 
food bloggers, food writers, and to be able to save this to your profile so that you have recommendations. You can share your favorite foods with, with other people. You can build a network and a community. And again, that's what we're doing at Crave It. That's, that's version one. That's the baseline. We're creating a community dedicated to food. And we truly want to change the world through food and be that one platform where anywhere in the world, you can go on Crave It and you can understand what's going on in a specific area, have a community. Because the reality is when people travel, no one wants to eat like a tourist, people want to eat like a local. They want to know where the best spots are, mm -hmm. where you can build a community. And right now that doesn't exist. There's so many different platforms uh, around food. It's very, very hard to decipher this information. And we want to be that single destination uh, to have where anyone can use it around the world and really truly impact the world uh, from, from city to city. Oh, that's that's what's up, man. And, and honestly, too, which which you mentioned, there aren't a lot of destinations for you to go. I mean, because the only thing that I can think of that I use now is Yelp, but that still doesn't give you everything that you need to figure out locally where you want to go to, you know, to have a meal. Also, Yelp's not a food app. People, it's not people a food think app. It is. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a community app. You can find your plumber and dentist on Yelp. You shouldn't be able to do that on a food app. <laughs> talk that's talk not a food to. App. Talk to about money. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, Yelp is dying out. Let's be let's be real. The reviews are stale. It's it's a negative it's a negative platform. It's not good for restaurants. There's so much trolling. The reviews are based mm -hmm. on the experience, not about the food. You know, the, the list goes on. Also, too, you know what I like about what you're mentioning with your platform? That's gonna be video based. I think that tells exactly. you the story. You're not doing this video. Yeah, you're not doing that on Yelp. So not only do I want to see the dish, I'm like, shit, I want to see how you enjoyed that. I want to see the, the, right. the ambiance and the vibe behind it. So I really like that aspect of what you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, we're, we're truly building a brand uh, around food. You know, we want people to to wear T-shirts based on our, our brand. You don't see people wearing Yelp or Uber Eats T-shirts to the park. Because <laughs> no. right? those... No. Those are transactional platforms. There's no community. Ooh, you know, there's no brand. So that's what we're creating. It's almost like you want to be like that hub, that one uh, one stop shop, huh? That's right. Why not? I didn't even mention the the, the challenges around ordering food. We'll get to that at a at a later date. But yeah, the the first part is the the social aspect and the recommendations from you know your community, your friends, as well as you know trusted people in the industry. That's truly what matters. And talking about the actual food, because none of these platforms today talk about food. I mean, if you think about it, like Uber Eats, they don't care about food. They care about the distribution and transportation of food. Open Table doesn't care about food. They care about, you know, butts and seats. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the list goes on. No one's talking about the food and the quality, how it, how it tastes, how it looks, uh, what goes good with the pairing, who else has tried this, whether it's a famous chef, a celebrity, you know, you name it. How cool would it be to know you know, Beyonce's favorite chicken sandwiches across the country, that alone would blow up a restaurant in and of itself. People would dedicate travel to learning where Beyonce went to eat. Oh, I got to go to that restaurant. Beyonce had that in, in Portland, Oregon. We got to go there. That's one of Beyonce's favorite places. Can't do that right now. No, no, you can't. And you know what? That's a, a good point that you brought up because I've been doing a lot of like learning about like the whole vegan lifestyle, right? And yeah, I can only imagine with your platform, if there was like somebody, because think about it now, audience, this guy's out here in California and you already know how California gets down. And <laughs> imagine you got that type of that star power out there in Cali. 
and they're using an app like this and you see some famous person eating some sort of a specialty like vegan dish somewhere, imagine how that's going to blow up, not only for mm-hmm. what Bomani's doing, but for that restaurant itself. And I'm like, that right there is, I think, the impact of how he's going to be able to connect all the way around. It's a whole ecosystem. So It is, and it's, you know, that's that's the thing. We're talking about vegan. I You know, I try and be um, not vegan fully, but like, you know, I'm I'm fairly vegetarian three to four days a week. And I think a lot of people are open to it, but like being a part of a community, knowing where to get the food, knowing how to cook the right meals that are easy, that you can meal prep, you know, that's that's the wild west. This is a platform again where you can meet other people that are on the platform that might be in Chicago that are vegan eaters that can connect with people in California or Miami and you know build a community. Oh, I saw that recipe you made the other day. I'm gonna bookmark and save it. Thank you. I just had it, it was incredible. You know, that's that's the power of community and, and food is the education and the excitement and you know, celebrating the joy around the food. Absolutely, absolutely. So for you. Now, I know you're in San Fran currently. Do you have any plans on getting closer to L.A. or are you just pretty much good where you're going to be at here in San Fran? Oh, that's really funny. So uh, my fiance and I are moving to L.A. in June. We're relocating uh, our HQ. So HQ will be in uh, in L.A. But uh, Crave It's available right now in North America and Panama. And we'll be opening up other countries. But the, the idea is that, um, yeah, we want to be down in L.A., better weather, uh, a little bit cheaper, hard to believe uh, that, but it's very true. <laughs> oh, um, and uh, a lot of opportunity with um, with the food scene and uh, athletes, celebrities. Uh, that you know, the, the list goes on. When I think about that, I think about that access you're going to be able to have to the celebrities, those uh, celebrity chefs. That's that's right. a big that's mm-hmm. a big that's a big impact that you'll be able to make. So you guys are moving out in June, okay? That's what's up. Yeah, June, a couple weeks away. Oh uh, wow. What about partnerships with restaurants, influencers? So you talk about all those type of things. Have you Mm -hmm. been able to kind of make those inroads? Yeah, you know, a lot of the stuff that we talk about is actually in flight on the low. I mean, last year, you know, we worked with 150 different restaurants um, throughout COVID. And there's some some, uh, major partnerships that we're um, starting to establish that are that we're in talks with right now. But, you know, those partnerships, if you think about partnerships as a whole, you know, we're in a really unique position because at the end of the day, food really impacts so many different industries. You think about the sports industry, right? You think about the culinary industry in itself. You think about the travel industry, right? All of these experiences are centered around food. The first thing you do when you go to a new city, you know, is where should we go eat? You're at a sporting event. Cool, I'm going to grab a beer or a drink. What is there to eat here? Uh, and, you know, uh, food festivals, right? Uh, what's going on in my city? So those are some of the things that we're thinking about as far as partnerships on the, the food side of things and the social aspect. I think what's unique and interesting about what we're doing is like the, the offline and online marketing aspect is going to be really cool in the sense of uh, partnerships where it's like, yeah, you know, it's it's online. You can find food, you know, and, and, and build a community, online but offline food's dope you know you can actually meet these people in person you can actually have conversations with these people whereas you know i hate to say it but like SaaS based companies like it's kind of <laughs> weak meeting in person it's not that exciting like you know it's like oh and you know at the 
the the food truck festival we have the salesforce stage is like okay random you know why is there a food sponsor right so it's uh-huh. there's a lot of opportunity uh in and of itself around around food and, and travel and sports and all of that that we're uh we're excited to, to dive into well, I'll tell you one thing, brother. Uh, we gonna ride this journey with you, man. I'm really, really proud of man what you're doing and where you're gonna Thank go. You. I appreciate that. And, ju- and just know, man, we're riding right along with you man. this whole time. Whatever we could do, man, on this show to to you know to highlight things that you're doing over there, you know where to find oh, me, man. I got enough. you. Just giving just giving me a voice and and uh, spreading the joy of food and also giving advice. You know that's. That's just what I love to love to do, inspire people. Oh man, you know what, Bo? I definitely want to give a shout outs from from all the players that I know because you help them out, knowing where to go so they can so they can uh, surprise and impress their date and stuff when they look <laughs> on your. <laughs> so they know what's what's That's the, right. Hey, baby, check this out. Get this menu. Uh-huh. Get this dish right here, man. I heard it's, it's uh-huh. excellent. So you put you put the players on, man. Appreciate that's you. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Jules, you, you've been doing a good job using almost all of my nicknames. That's, that's, that's impressive. Yeah, hasn't he? I, 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 yeah. I, I've noticed that. That was the 440 use. <laughs> <laughs> now, on, now on the flip side, Jules, of that now he's putting the players on. I'm also like the players now listen. Don't be messing with Bomani too much because he's gonna have y'all spending all y'all paycheck now. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> The world just gained an extra pound too, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> but do but on, on the way out, Bomani, can you tell the audience uh, where they can uh, you know sign up to become users for Crave It, where they can find you on social, and just want to make sure that people can understand how they can be uh, you know connected with you guys online. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you can uh, you can follow us on Instagram at craveit.co. And that's also a little hack. Our website is craveit.co, <laughs> where you can ah, sign there up. You go. And uh, you can download the app today in the, the App Store and Google Play and reserve your username. And we have a wait list going. So you'll be on the wait list and we'll send you an invite code. We're invite code only. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at craveit uh, underscore. Uh, for updates on uh, invite codes and releases. And then you're also more than welcome to follow me on uh, on LinkedIn at just Bomani Mints. Uh, my personal Instagram is um, bolife90. And um, that's where you can check out all the the updates and you know see what's going on. And we're, we're looking for food lovers. So if you like taking photos and videos of food, uh, this is the platform for you. If you do it and you don't share it on social because you're labeled a foodie, this is your opportunity to post and share photos of video of food because, quite frankly, everyone's doing it. So you're not different than anyone else. So this is uh, <laughs> this is this is the time to uh, this is the time to to do it. And if you don't take photos and videos of food, this might be the opportunity to do it because I'm sure your friends and family want to see what you're cooking, what you're eating, and getting inspiration and recipe recommendations and and whatnot as well. Absolutely. Well, look, I signed up. I've been looking forward to getting that username. But money, I'm gonna be mm-hmm. texting you to figure out what's good with that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I'll be able. I'll be able to get you guys on there. Yeah, we, we got to make sure we get that content from y'all, though, especially from where was that place? Harold's. Harold's. Oh yes, yeah. Sir. Oh, that that should be your hey. first post. Hey. Those <laughs> seven or twelve or ten chicken wings. 
There you, you go. go. That's it. Hey, B Mints. Hey, 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 you the man now. <laughs> yeah, he was. Hey, he was. He was listening. <laughs> B Mints. That Tim Wayne dinner. Lemon pepper. Ooh, my God. <laughs> I can't wait to see it in video form, preferably. Oh, yeah, right, Max, we, that thing. We got you. We got you. You got my word on that. <laughs> All right. I can't wait. All right. Hey, Bomani, thanks so much for pulling up with us, brother. Appreciate you, man. Love what you're doing. We'll be in touch with you, my man. Jules, man. Man. Woo. Oh, Bo Love, man. I'm going to call him Bo Love from now on. Bo Love. That's, that's the fifth <laughs> nickname, man. <laughs> hey, he just Romeo to me. I just changed him in my phone. <laughs> just Romeo. Just Romeo. <laughs> just Romeo. <laughs> but no, that was a good episode, man, all the way around. Because there's people that probably listen to this show. They got a job. Everything's cool. But man, there's probably so many people out here that probably feel like they could be doing much more or they could be elevated, right? And so it's good to have somebody like uh, Bomani come on the show to kind of give some of those lessons of what he went through. And also for people to understand this shit ain't easy. You right. got to be dedicated. You got to be willing to put the work in. You also, have to be willing to take some of those L's that come along mm-hmm. with it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. He took, man, he took, wow. And, and what he said that really stood out to me, you have to be obsessed with this thing. Yeah. You have to be, because he went through some trials and tribulations to get where he at. Mm-hmm. Um, with mm-hmm. the people that are on his team that came and went. Yep. He could have been like, you know what, screw it. Let yeah, me just go on LinkedIn or wherever the case may be, just get a nine to five and, and forget about this whole his whole vision. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. man, what we talked about earlier on this on, on these episodes, when without vision, you will perish. So he stuck with that vision. And not only he stuck with the vision, man, he got other, he got his team and he's doing good. He's getting married. He's he's moving, he got the headquarters, he's moving, he's man, he's he, he's blowing up, man. And and that's the thing, too, for our audience. And you think about this, this guy right here, he's just on the cusp. So right. probably a year from now, the next time you hear about Craven, you'll be like, damn, they, that's, they, they won't pull it back the curtain when they were right. just starting off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As Martin said, he's like a man smoking in a gasoline station. Man, yeah, <laughs> for real. That's such a good way to put it. But he, he is. He is. You can just tell from him, he's sharp. He knows his shit. And... I love how I like I got under his skin with that Yelp thing. He got a little feisty with that. I like that because that goes to show you that he's letting you know right then and there how he's different. Right. And that's the key. Right. <laughs> he pushing that brand. He like, yep, yeah, all right. They ain't really nothing, man. <laughs> <laughs> he said, he, he said, just wait, just wait, just wait till crazy. <laughs> yep, yep, he sure did. So Jules, man, I love this episode. Really good shit here. Quick announcement for our audience. Next week's episode will be season two finale for us. We're going to take a couple weeks off. We're going to collaborate on some content for you guys going down the road here. We're going to kind of retool things a little bit. So definitely be on the lookout for season three when that kicks back off. So next week will be our season finale. All right, Jules, man. Good ass episode, brother. And we are yes, out. Sir. Jules, don't hit him with that curtain call, bruh. Press today. This curtain call goes out to all of you. Our loyal listeners, today we celebrate the one-year mark of this podcast. Thank you for growing, elevating, and celebrating with us. You know, Prez, this podcast means a hell of a lot to me, man. You know, we discuss the important topics we're going to talk about. We answer (laughs) questions from our loyal listeners. We help to educate and inform and just just help people look at things at a different, different perspective, a different meaning. You know, our voices here, man, will last forever. Brez, I say to you, congratulations to you, my brother, and I'm looking forward to another 100 episodes. 
Hey, Jules, I'm right there with you, brother. Yeah, this podcast means the world to me. And like we always say, without you guys, we wouldn't be possible. So thank you guys so much for the support. As we mentioned earlier in the show, we were nominated for a Discover Pod Award. That wouldn't be possible without you guys listening to this podcast, without sharing this podcast. So that's why this curtain call goes out to you guys. Thank you so much. As always, you can find this podcast on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and Deezer. We appreciate your continued support of this show. Without you, we wouldn't be. We're the Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast. Thanks for listening. Peace.